0: Good morning. Good morning. Spring is springing. The snowdrops and crocuses are out. They probably regret being out this morning because it's it's chilly. And uh, were it not for other things, hope would dominate now. I just want to. Before I read the scriptures, I want to point out spring is still springing. Seed time and harvest will not pass away until the coming of the Lord. What an amazing God we have. Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 23 is what we're going to read. You may think we've been in Exodus a long time. <laughs> And and you'd be right, but you need to remember that the children of Israel haven't even started on their journey to the promised land yet properly. Just be thankful we haven't got 40 years of tracing uh, their trek across the wilderness. Verse 12 of chapter 33. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. I'm not taking it as a sign to abandon my notes. and uh, (laughs) Not yet, anyway. The Israelites have been at the foot of Mount Sinai for quite a while. God had given Moses the law, and Moses, having been with God, came to the people, and the people affirmed it and said they would be God's people, they would keep this covenant. Yet, while Moses was back up the mountain, getting detailed instructions about the law and about the establishment of the tabernacle, the people had turned to idol worship and and formed this golden calf and, and worshiped that in revelry with drastic consequences. Moses was soon to go up the mountain again and get the law engraved on new stone tablets. That's what was about to happen. Last time we saw how Moses established a separate tent outside the camp where people could inquire of God and where Moses spent a great deal of time, and according to the scriptures, Joshua spent even more time. In the tent, God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend, we're told. Now that rather complicates our reading, doesn't it? And you're waiting for a great theological explanation of how Moses could talk to God face to face as a friend, but he wasn't allowed to see his face. And the answer is, I haven't the faintest idea. <laughs> um, whatever the scripture means by it, I'm fully on board with, but trying to, to separate out exactly what's going on here is probably for a theologian greater than me. Uh, having said that, it's worth remembering worth remembering that Jesus did come, and in the face of Jesus, there's the face of God or oh, it's just Pick out some thoughts from this before bringing it full circle again to what the world is facing at the moment, because I believe it's particularly relevant. I want to start with conversations with God. Uh, we, We sit a little uneasily with the idea of having a conversation with God, because God is God and we are people. We are not God. And yet there's no doubt from scripture that God invites people, invites us into the intimacy of relationship which is a form of conversation. We sometimes think of uh, God as uh, the God who tells us, you know, you do that, yes, sir, and off we go. You do that, yes, sir. And, and we kind of wait for his dictatorial uh, information which gives us the guidelines as to how we should function and how we should act. And although there's some truth in that, because it's always God's way that prevails and his way is always best, the truth Of what the scripture tells us is that God does all this through relationship and not through distance. We forget that God beckons us close. He wants to hear our concerns, He wants us to be involved in His decision making. Wow. I can help God make decisions? Well, He allows that biblically. Remember Abraham negotiating with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember that story? If there be forty, if there be thirty, if there be ten, you can imagine God losing patience, but he didn't. You remember David wanting to build a temple? But God revealed to David that he wasn't going to build the temple. His son Solomon would get that privilege. Many, many more examples in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, too. It's not just Old Testament idea of this conversation with God. Uh, In in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, Paul pleaded three times, he says, with God to remove the thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. And we won't go into that today because we could be here for quite a while. But God had obviously allowed this affliction within Paul. And Paul pleaded with him to remove it. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And if you are another example, remember how Peter uh, had this vision uh, whilst on a rooftop of a sheet that was sort of unrolled and lots of animals were on there that were unclean and and God said to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's going, "Lord, I've I've never touched anything unclean. This is a conversation. It's not a kind of one-way track of Peter talking anonymously into this guy, to God, and hoping that somehow through coincidence and through arranged circumstances, God might reply. And here is the issue. Prayer is a conversation. It really is. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that every day of our lives we should hear an audible voice from God. Have I ever heard the audible voice of God? (sighs) I think so, but I wouldn't swear to it. Does it happen every day? No, maybe, I think, possibly twice in my life. Have I ever been conscious of what God is saying to me in words without hearing anything? Absolutely and frequently. Because God beckons us into relationship. Prayer is not just a shopping list. We give to God and then give God a couple of minutes if we've got time left to say something back to us. Prayer is conversing with God, sharing our hearts with God and hearing his heart. God would beckon us into conversation, albeit reverently. I'll come back to what's going on in Ukraine towards the end of what I want to say, but it is when we are most deeply touched by something that we should come most strongly to God because when God sees our tears and when God feels our anguish and when God knows that we mean business and it's not just a we wouldn't mind God if you did that that this conversation this depth of relationship begins to to take root, begins to have meaning for us Uh, Moses said very clearly Lord teach me your ways that I may know you, not just know about Him, not just know that He's there, He's indescribable, all those things are true, but to know Him. How's your conversation with God? Second thing I want to draw out from this morning is the difference His presence makes. Earlier, after the golden calf nonsense, God had suggested that, uh, as a kind of punishment to Israel, that he would send an angel with the people, but wouldn't go with them himself. And here, he's reassuring Moses that he will travel with them. He, he, He will. And the point Moses makes is dead simple. If you're not coming, there's no point in us going. God, if you're not going to travel this journey with us to this promised land, don't send us. It's a pointless exercise. There might be two and a half million of us, and we might be on a journey, but it actually has no meaning, unless you're going with us. How how would people recognize the blessing of God on them if God didn't go with them? Without the living presence of God, they'd be pretty indistinguishable from all the other tribes and nations and uh, plethora of little groups that were around at the time. And then in the New Covenant, we get to the New Testament. Through the cross of Jesus, this becomes even more fundamental to God's purposes. You see, Jesus came to us as as a baby, but he came as Emmanuel. That was one of the names given to him, Emmanuel, God with us. Not God out there, but God with us. In Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the disciples the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the father son and holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything he's commanded when he does that he says and i will be with you always to the very end of the age and we know from scripture that he did this by Jesus died, he he went back to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus is another term the Bible uses for his Holy Spirit. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in us and among us that we might continually know the presence of God with us. It is the living presence of the Holy Spirit that distinguishes the church from the rest of humanity. In Ukraine now, in Russia now, all over the world, we have brothers and sisters to whom we belong. And that depth of belonging outweighs all other belongings. I'm quite patriotic, I actually like England to win things at (laughs) football and cricket and uh, and the like, you know, yeah, yeah. But I need to say, I belong to a different nation now. I belong to a holy nation that is being carved out by God from all the nations of the world. The people of God, that's our identity. That's who we are. And what distinguishes us from all the other peoples of the world is the presence of God with us and in us. His supernatural purity, his supernatural wisdom, And yes, his supernatural power. And I really believe that many people dismiss the church as an irrelevance because they cannot discern the presence of God amongst us. And without his obvious presence, we have nothing to offer. We end up offering what the rest of the world offers, empty humanistic philosophies, platitudes, nice ideas with no root, or we even we even begin to explore what I regard as the curse of that wonderful word progressive. It's astonishing. Progressive. And actually, if you analyze what most of progressive means in the the modern world, it actually means regression. It means going back to pagan ideas and godless ideas where humanity is the center of everything. Lord, deliver us. Unless God goes with us. And the third thing I draw from this is the desire that God wants from us. Desire is an interesting word, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm remarkably English in this respect. Uh, I, I'm very, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, understated. As I've said before, I, I, I'll go to watch Newcastle play better these days. i will go to watch Newcastle play, and Newcastle score, and the whole place erupts. and I'm going, yes! And then I sit down again, <laughs> uh, because it's who I am. And so we're a little bit reticent, some of us, of expressing desire, longing, the aching of heart for something. Uh, maybe some of you, well, I'm going to say some of you are Some of you are young enough for it to be your experience now. Some of you may remember what it was like to long and desire someone. Yeah? Yes, some of those teenage years you're glad are over. Um, Never mind. But God's desire is us, and he wants our desire to be him. He wants us to desire, to long, to ache, to experience his glory. The desire to know him, the desire to see him face to face. He wants that to be the driving force of our existence, to draw closer and closer. Lord, that I may know you, that I may see you, that I may experience you. Not just so it can be a kind of self-indulgent, ooh, whoopee, I've had an experience of God, but so that we can become conformed more and more into the image of God and become more like him and become aligned with his purposes. And all these desires for us, Within the New Covenant are pursued through relationship with Jesus Christ, a longing for an ever closer walk with Him. Because the Bible says in Colossians one nineteen, Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. Um, no, that's actually not one Corinthians nineteen. One Corinthians nineteen says, "And all the fullness of God dwells in Him. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. Everything that we need to experience about God dwells in Him. We come to Jesus. We come to to." lay our lives before him, to encounter him, to know him, to love him, the longing to see his face, the longing to be with him. This is what is meant to be driving the Christian and the Christian church. God wants us so much to desire to see him. Face to face. Eh, That's back to that theological problem again, isn't it? Um, And the final thing this morning We need to spend a little bit of time just thinking about the cleft of the rock, the cleft in the rock. Whatever it was, uh, the difference between what Moses had experienced in the tent, face to face, and what God was saying he couldn't now do, which I don't understand. The cleft of the rock is a fantastic Old Testament picture of what Jesus does for us. It really is a beautiful thing. Now, just think about it. What God's essentially saying to Moses is, look, Moses, if I give you what you're asking for, you won't survive. If I give you what you're asking for, you'll be, if you're like, shriveled up. You'll you'll just cease to be. You, you, You can't. But I want to give you as much as you possibly can have. Therefore, I am going to provide a way for you. And I am going to protect you from what would harm you from me by putting you in that rock. Now, I don't know whether all this was happening in the tent We're not told where this conversation was happening, but that's where he had these conversations, so maybe it was. But God says, near to where I am, there's a rock. You're going to stand on that rock, and I'm going to come. But then I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, in that that little nook and cranny, the rock. Just at the right time, I'm going to cover you with my hand. I'm going to pass, and you'll see my back. Now, th- these are images which we're thinking, well, what's going on here? I don't understand. No, I don't either. If you, find a, if you find a theologian who tells you this is plain and easy, they're, they're fibbing, all right? But what it is talking about is this relationship, this intimacy of coming as close to God as we possibly can, understanding as much of him as is available to understand. <coughs> Let me read to you Colossians. Chapter 3. This is the most beautiful, beautiful passage. Keep the idea of the cleft of the rock in your mind. This is Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life, if you're a Christian believer this morning, what God has done, he's hidden you in Jesus. Not hidden in the sense of, where have you gone? But hidden you in the sense of protection. We are clothed in Christ. We are placed in Christ. That's what the Bible says when we put our trust in him. And that is our cleft in the rock. That is the place where we are secure, where we are safe, where we can encounter God's glory and know that God cannot harm us because through grace we are covered, we are protected, we are safe. Isn't that exciting? It's it's absolutely mind-blowing. This is what God has done for us. What grace is this? Undeserved? Undeserved? But don't you want it? I mean, yes, you've got it, but don't you want to experience it more and more and more? To know that we can draw as close as we want to in, want to, towards God now because we are covered by the blood of Jesus, by the sacrifice of Calvary. We're covered, our sins are gone, we are safe. The glory, the raw, awesome holiness of God will not consume us because we are hidden with God in Christ. Oh, And uh, before too long, we're going, to, we're going to sing a hymn together. Which, uh, if you're young, I apologize. Well, I don't apologize, but you just have to live with it. Um, <laughs> we're going to sing. We're going to sing an old gospel hymn, "A Wonderful Savior Is Jesus, My Lord," a wonderful Savior to me. And it has the chorus: "He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock; that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depth of His love." And covers me there with his hand. It's written by Fanny Crosby. And Fanny Crosby was, uh, was blind. She was a, a hymn writer, wrote lots of, lots of hymns. Uh, I nearly wanted us to sing this morning another one of hers, I Shall Know Him, but I decided that'd be too hard for you to, for you to learn if you don't know it. But, uh, the I Shall Know Him one is interesting because Fanny Crosby, being blind, was asked at one stage what she most looked forward to about heaven, and she said, I most look forward to being able to see the face of Jesus. And she said, and I'll know it's him by the nail prints in his hand. And that's what that hymn is about. It's, it's fabulous, it's fabulous stuff. So before we sing the hymn, I just want to take this full circle again. What's going on in our world? I don't know. Is this the beginning of an end time scenario that will end up in biblical terms with Armageddon and all that that means? I don't know. I know it'll happen one day, and I suspect it can't be that long if you look at what's going on in the world. I don't know. But I do know that what's happening in Ukraine at the moment has a distinct danger, probably greater than any time in my lifetime, of becoming a far greater conflagration and becoming far, far more all-embracing in terms of this world. My grandfather was... uh, shipwrecked uh, in the First World War, survived. I wouldn't be here if he hadn't. (laughs) Uh, My father was called up in the Second World War, uh, the age of 18, and he was such a good cook, they never let him go. And uh, overseas service, they kept him in the training camp to cook for the officers. (laughs) I never had to join up. I never had to fight. And I long with all my heart that My children won't, my grandchildren won't. I don't know. And I can't be the only person here this morning who has that kind of nagging uncertainty in the back of my mind. This is what I want to say to you. Do not be afraid. He is with us. The God of glory, the King of kings, is with us. What will happen in this world, I don't know. Are there dangers out there? Of course there are. But let me tell you the fundamental truth about living as a Christian. Paul knew it. This is what I want to to leave you with this morning before we sing the hymn together. In Romans 8, from verse 31, it says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our security lies not in weapons, not even in arguments. Our security lies in Jesus. And the knowledge of that security is through the living presence of the God who walks every step with us. Isn't that good? And whatever the future holds, I'm safe with him. I'm safe with him. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot about this story. in Moses, we don't quite understand and things we'd love to ask you about. And I guess we do ask you about and don't always understand ourselves. But Lord, I thank you that Moses had a real, real desire to know you and that you revealed as much of yourself to him as you could at that time. But thank you, you're also the God who continues to respond to people when they desire to know you and experience you. Lord, would you reveal to us today as much of your glory as is right. Help us to draw close, knowing that we are safe in Jesus, and help us to lean upon your strength and the security of your love as these on certain days go by in Jesus name amen a wonderful savior is Jesus my lord